know that um, as well. We are going to continue this morning our series on the parables of Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll be in it probably through most of the summer, so uh, that's kind of where we will head unless we come up to a special day like Mother's Day or things like that, and then we'll take a quick break and get right back to it. Um, the idea of the parables are, uh, they are basically earthly stories that Jesus tells that have a heavenly perspective or an eternal perspective to them. Um, often they are made-up stories, and they have one specific focus usually in each parable. Um, previously, we've talked about the eight kingdom parables, and then we talked about the three lost parables. Uh, for the next probably two, three months, uh, the grouping of parables that we're going to look at are, for lack of a better term, it's basic Christianity 101. And so each parable, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at one central truth that Jesus teaches in that parable that's really basic to what we believe. And so the parable that we're going to look at this morning is actually um, in the last, probably it was told in the last month of Jesus Christ, very close to him going to the cross. And in that parable, the, the context before it is the disciples are wondering about who's going to be where in the, in the new kingdom that Jesus is going to come into. And so they're kind of, in fact, after this parable, uh, you're going to have this story where um, the disciples' moms come up and go, hey, can my kids sit on your right and your left? Because they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't get what Jesus is trying to teach in this parable. So we're going to take a look at it this morning and kind of dive through all of it. And uh, hopefully... Um, I think it'll make a difference in the way we look at life this week and the way we approach life. So here it is. It's in uh, found in Matthew. It actually, it actually, verse 30 is in Matthew 19. That literally sets the stage for this. When Jesus says, many are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He's actually going to say that, and then he's going to tell his parable, and he's going to say that again. So that's kind of the parentheses around it. Here's what he said. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. Now about nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and he found others still standing around. So he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So when the workers were hired, were about five in the afternoon came, they each received a denarius. So when those came that were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These, are, these who were hired last worked only an hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered to one of them, I am not unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. 
Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, so you understand a little bit, this is a typical idea of what it would have been like to have a vineyard um, in Palestine. It's not like what we see in California and those kinds of things. Um, the vineyards at this, in this culture, in this region of the country, often during this time, were built on terraces, and it's a rocky ground. So what they would often do is they would take a terrace area, they would remove all of the stones from it, they would then bring in dirt, good dirt, and put it down, and then they would plant the uh, vines. So we don't know in this story what exactly the workers were doing. Uh, there were three main things that you would do in this culture. One was you would prepare a vineyard. So you, it may have been he was having people remove stones and move in dirt and plant new vines. Um, a second thing that they would do that was very labor-intensive in this culture was pruning them, where you'd have to go through and prune the right ones. That was more of a skill kind of thing, to know which vines to clip and which, which ones not to. And the third area was just the harvest, where you go in and you would pick the grapes. Uh, most of the time we assume that that's what's in play here in this story, but we don't know. All we know is this. We know that the landowner um, had a lot of grapes and a lot of vineyards that he needed taken care of. That's what we know. And we know that, like, like a normal in that culture, he went to the market to find day workers. Uh, a typical day in the Jewish world was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So they would work 12-hour days. Uh, vineyard work was incredibly labor-intensive. Uh, it was hot. It was difficult. I, whether you were Preparing a field, pruning, or picking, it was just blistering hot uh, to do this work. What was common is, if you had workers that you hired year-round, but as, as seasonal stuff came, either planting or harvesting, you hired extra workers. You guys are farmers. You understand that concept where you go and you get whoever you can get. Well, in this culture, the way that you would do it, and by the way, it's this way today in a lot of cities, um, my dad did this when he was in Dallas. He needed a fence tore out. And so there's an area in Dallas where you could go and you could drive up and you could say, hey, does anybody have any skill in doing this? And you could hire those people for the day. And then this culture, that's what would happen. People would go to the marketplace and they would hire people to go and work for them. And in this culture, you paid them at the end of the day. So they got paid at the end of the day because, again, it's not like where we have today where... Uh, we have jobs, and we are, uh, maybe you're a salary employee, so you know what your paycheck's going to be every week. And in that day, you either worked and ate or you didn't. So what you need to understand is, so let me play out this story for you with those in background, so that background in mind. So the owner of the vineyard goes in early that day, and he's looking at all the people who want to work, and he picks out a bunch of people. He says, I need, I got vineyard work to do. Um, I, I'd like to hire you. The text is very specific. It says that they agreed to a denarius a day. It implies the idea that they negotiated for how much they were going to get paid that day. All right. Um, and again, these were people who, you know, they, they got to choose at the beginning of the day, got to choose who they're going to work for. So they want the best deal. A denarius was basically the day wage of a Roman soldier. So it was a really good rate to be able to work for that day. Uh, again, Roman soldiers were some of the, the higher paid people in the, 
in the common thing. So to get a denarius a day was a good deal. I mean, you, you know, that was a decent wage for the day. In fact, it was above decent. So they agreed to a denarius a day, and they head out to the field at 6 a.m., and they start working. The landowner now comes back to the marketplace again at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he looks around, and he says, you know what, um, I need a couple more people to work. Um, let me hire you five or six guys, or however many you want. And they said, well, what are, you, what are you going to pay us? He said, you know, don't worry about it. I'll treat you fair. We'll do okay. Just, just, I just need more workers. And so they're happy now because they've gone three to four hours without getting hired. So they head out into their vineyard, and they start working at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then at noon, he comes back to the marketplace. He looks around. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get some more workers. How about you guys? Will you go work for me? Yeah, yeah. How much? How much? Don't worry. I'll treat you fair. It'll be okay. Just, just trust me, and you go do the work. So they come rolling into the field at noon, and they start working. <clears throat> three o'clock, he goes in. And he looks at the V, he goes, how come you guys aren't working? And, and, and the text says, well, we've been here all day and no one's hired us. And it says that they were doing nothing. It wasn't that they were lazy. In fact, you have to give these guys credit. Most people would have gone home by now. Because the day's going to end in four hours. But they're still standing there waiting for somebody to hire them. So the landowner comes in and sees him, and he goes, hey, you know what, why don't you guys go ahead to the field too? I will pay you whatever at the end of the day. Sounds great, because we're going to get something today. Now, you're the 5 o'clock group, which means in an hour, the day's done. Nobody's hiring you at 6 o'clock. The day's over. And the landowner comes up, and he feels sorry, because again, you think these are the best workers? These are the leftovers, okay? These are people who, in an hour, they're going home, and they're not feeding their family. And the landowner, feeling sorry or whatever else, says, I'll tell you what, guys, if you'll go to the field, I'll pay you something. We'll make it right. Head to the field. So these guys show up. Now, again, I want you to put yourself in this position. You're the 6 a.m. group. And the misfits... Come walking in at 5 o'clock to work for an hour. And you're thinking what? You know, nah. Uh, he just must have felt sorry for him trying to help him out. So it now comes 6 o'clock, day's over. And the landowner does something that they normally didn't do in this culture. Normally in this culture, you would have said, okay, guys, it's pay time. Hey, you guys, who who is here the longest? Okay, 6 o'clock group, here's what you're going to get. Okay, 9 o'clock group, noon group, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. But purposefully in this story, and by the way, I think it is a story because uh, it's a made-up story because it's not something anybody would do. So the landowner says, I want you to pay them, but I want you to pay them in reverse order. So the 5 o'clock group shows up. They're, they're all standing there in a the line. And he reaches into his bag and he says, hey, thanks for working today. Here's a denarius. Now, if you're the 6 o'clock group, you're thinking, ching, 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 ching. A denarius for an hour. I've been here 12 hours. I'm going to get 12 days pay. He comes to the, the 3 o'clock group. Reaches in his bag and he pulls out a denarius. 
He hands them a denarius. Now goes to the noon group, and he goes, here's a denarius. You're, you're the six o'clock group. You're wondering, well, come on. We've been here more than a, Maybe he's just doing like denarius for half a day. So maybe I'll get two instead of 12. And he gives them a denarius. The nine o'clock in the morning group, he gives them the denarius. And the six o'clock group, the group that has worked their tail off for 12 hours straight in the sweltering heat of Palestine, he goes, here's your denarius. Now let me ask you a question. How happy are you if you were the six o'clock group? It's not fair, is it? Not fair at all. And they're ticked. They start grumbling and griping. And and literally, the the Greek idea is that they just continued at this thing. This thing really got to their day. And for those of you who are listening to this story, you're sitting there going, it's not fair. It's not right. You know what they're upset about? They're upset because they were put on equal plane with the 5 o'clock group. How dare he treat us, who have worked 12 hours in the hot sun, the same as he treated the 5 o'clock group? Now, let me ask you a question. You think anybody in the 5 o'clock group is griping and complaining? (laughs) No, not on your life. You think anybody in the other group is griping and complaining? I mean, these were people who at 6 o'clock in the morning were all looked over. The only reason they have a job is because of the grace and goodness of the, the landowner. That he came back to the marketplace. That he offered them a job. In fact, the reality of this story is the 6 o'clock group was going home hungry unless the landowner hired them. Every person in this story tasted of the goodness and generosity and and greatness of the landowner. But the six o'clock group is ticked. Because they looked at this and said, how dare you treat us all the same? How dare you not give us more? Because we performed more than they did. We want to be judged. We want to be rewarded based on our performance, not on the goodness or generosity of the landowner. And so Jesus drills this thing down now to the perspective of the landowner. See, you and I are looking at it from the perspective of the workers. And Jesus spins this story And he says, you have to think about it from the landowner's perspective. The landowner said this, at 6 o'clock, you negotiated with me for the whole day for a denarius. Tell me how I'm unfair. At 5.30 in the morning, we made an agreement. You work 12 hours, I'll give you a denarius. What part of that didn't I fulfill? And they're going, none. And then Jesus says, so take your money and go. 
I wasn't unfair to you at all. In fact, it's not about me being unfair to you. You're upset because I was generous with them. And in addition to that, not only are you upset that I'm generous with them, you've forgotten this main principle that it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. Why are you upset with me? Because I'm generous? Because I was nice to the 5 o'clock group and I gave them the same thing I gave the 9 o'clock and the noon group and the 3 o'clock group and the 6 o'clock group? You're upset with me because I was generous? And Jesus looks at the group that he's talking to and says, you need to remember the last shall be first and the first will be last. And this is an, because, again, the context of this is where do we fit in the kingdom? We've done more for you. We follow you for three years. We should get something in return for doing all of it. And Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. We're all equal in the kingdom of God. Now, there are a ton of illustrations or a ton of roads that lead off of this story. You could talk about, because here's what this is. Ultimately, this is a picture of how God deals with salvation. And that God offers salvation to everyone. And the reality of the thing is, the salvation of the thief on the cross who didn't have an hour to live for God is the same thing as the disciples who've been following Jesus for three years. That's, that's the, the crux of this story. And that's what Jesus is trying to lay out as a foundation. You see all kinds of principles in here. You see the idea of God as, first of all, going to that marketplace over and over again, hiring anyone that he could. You see the idea of the, 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 the landowner being incredibly generous with unlimited resources to pay the people that he had hired. In the same way with God. God, is, God has these unlimited resources that he gives to us as believers and as his children. You see this idea of him continually seeking. You see this idea of him going out and feeling sorry for those at 5 o'clock who don't have a job and giving them a job. You see this compassion and mercy that the guy when he goes to pay them, wants to give everybody the same thing. You see the idea that everyone here, no matter what they did, got the same reward. And salvation, we all get the same thing. It's what we do with it. But everybody, last week when I talked about that foundation, everybody gets the same foundation. What you do with it is between you and God, but everybody gets the same foundation. Nobody gets more of Jesus than, than somebody else. It's what you do with it. It's what you build on it. So this morning, I want to take the application. I want to drive it into three main areas. And I think there are the three areas that the landowner talks to the people about who were upset. And here's the first one. The owner gets to do what he wants with his money. God is sovereign. You know what that means? That means he's in control. That means he's in charge. That means that God gets to do whatever God wants to do, and he doesn't owe you or me an explanation for it. I don't know why we think sometimes that, you know, well, God, you need to explain to me why you're doing this, why you're allowing this in my life. Who do you think you are? God's the creator of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. And you think he owes you an explanation? He's the landowner. He can do what he wants when he wants because he is God. 
And we forget that sometimes. We forget that God's on the throne doing what God wants to do, and God doesn't owe us a reason for anything that he does. But somehow, we get this mixed up and turned around in our lives where we think God should, should, should do this for me. It's important that we understand this. It's important that we understand the idea that God is in control, folks. And listen, we're going to have to trust him because I guarantee you he knows a whole lot more about stuff than you do. His ways aren't our ways. Our thoughts aren't his thoughts. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. He is God. So he gets to do what he wants to do. Just like the landowner got to be generous with everybody because the landowner wanted to be generous with everybody. Second idea is this. God offers the same thing to everybody. Just like in this story, everybody got a nurse. God offers salvation to anyone who wants to accept it. It's not like, okay, you're going to get a special version of it. Oh, you're going to get more because I like you more than I like them. No, if you're part of the 6 a.m. group, you're going to get the same thing that the 5 p.m. group got. And I often, here, here's what I see. I, I see people who come to Christ later in life, you know, in that, you know, maybe they're those 3 o'clock people or even those 5 o'clock people. And they're like, oh, I wish you would have come to Christ so, er, so much earlier because, I got, you know, I could have, all the mistakes that I made. Da, da, da. Listen, stop. Be happy you came to Christ at 5 o'clock. Would you all do every, something different in our lives if we could go back and do it over every one of us? But you know what? You're part of the 5 o'clock group. Be part of the 5 o'clock group and be thrilled to God that he gave you the opportunity to be saved. Don't beat yourself up for all of that. Because the reality of it is the 5 o'clock group got the exact same thing as the 6 a.m. group. It's the idea that God says, look, I'm going to give this to everyone equally. What you do with it in the time that you have is your call, but I'm going to give it to you equally all the way across the board. That's the principle of this parable. His grace is offered equally to everyone. The last idea, and this is the one that that I want to take a little bit of spin on because these we're talking about salvation. I want to spin it and and talk about how it it plays out in, in our walk in the Christian life. And that's this idea that you have to be very careful with your expectations. In this particular story, their expectations are what got them in trouble. Because what happened is, as the 6 a.m. group started looking at what was happening in everybody else's life, they started doing something very dangerous. First of all, they started comparing their life with everybody else's. They started comparing the work that they had done with everybody else. And so they believed that they should get more. They thought things should be different for them. So by the time it comes pay time for them, their expectations are we're going to get more money than we had negotiated at the beginning. And they're disappointed. And not only are they disappointed, they're angry. And they're griping and they're grumbling because they didn't get enough. And I watch this play out in Christianity over and over and over again. And we do this in so many different ways, in so many subtle ways. And I just want us to be aware of it. 
where we start expecting certain things. So we start putting spin on stuff. Give you an example. And again, this is a subtle thing. Pastor, I want you to pray for so-and-so because they're 35 years old and they have two young children. Ooh, well then, they deserve to be healed. Because the other person with cancer, well, they're 80. What have we done? What have we done? Oh, 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 they should get more prayer or special prayer because their situation, listen, if you've ever dealt with anybody with cancer, cancer's cancer whether you're 80 or 30. It's a difficult road no matter what. It's not like, well, it shouldn't happen to somebody who's young or has young children. Say what? Say what? Why? Why should it not happen? Sin affects, for the time sin entered the picture, it marred everything. And we get this idea that certain people don't deserve or shouldn't have certain difficulties because they're good people. Say, what? Where are we coming up with this? Because what we have done is we have started to compare our world with their world. And when you walk down that path, it is a dangerous, deadly path that only ends up with envy, struggle, hatred, grumbling. You get mad ultimately at God. Because you start taking this attitude that it shouldn't happen to me. Or, or here's what you have. I can't believe this happened to me. Why has this happened to me? Don't you know that, that it ought to be this way in my life? We all go there. We all go down these roads. And what happens is, we are like those six o'clock people, griping and grumbling, instead of appreciating what we have, We gripe and grumble. So to make this point, I'm going to talk about one area and and put some things in perspective for you. This is a dangerous game to play, the comparison game, because I guarantee you when I talk to people who are comparing themselves with somebody else, their situation with somebody else's situation, you know what happens with those people? They're always comparing somebody that has a better situation. And it gets tainted, and it gets warped. So let me give you a big dose this morning of reality. Now, I could pick all kinds of areas, but if you live in this country, I'm here to tell you, you are not a 6 o'clock person, you are a 5 p.m. person. And we need to start living our lives like that. So let me give you, I'm going to dive into the area just of money because I think it will help put a realistic perspective. And by the way, it'll help you culturally to understand why we're throwing kids over a fence to be Americans. Okay? So I'm just saying, I could could choose health care. I could choose life expectancy. I could choose all kinds. I could choose drinking water. I could choose all, I'm going to take the area of money because I think that's an area that we all can relate to. Okay? So in 2000, 2013, Pew Research Center. So this is almost, almost, not quite, almost 10 years ago. 
surveyed 111 countries. 88% of the world's population is put into these numbers, okay, in 2013. They classified everybody's income in five categories. Poor, low-income, middle-income, upper-income, and high-income. That's the categories. Here are the definitions, and here are the percentages. Poor were people who made less than $2 a day. In the world, 15% of the world makes less than $2 a day. This was back in 2013. In America, 2%. Low-income made less than $10 a day, between $2 and $10 a day. In the world, 56% of the world. 3% of Americans. Middle income. Middle income is decided between $10 and $20 a day. In the world, 13%. In the United States, 7%. Upper income. Upper income in the world was defined between $20 and $50 a day. In the world, 9% of the world makes that amount of money. In the United States, 32%. High income, over $50 a day. In the world, 7%. In the United States, 56%. So let me give you the perspective so you understand that. When you do the $20 or more a day, it comes out to the way they're figuring all this out, about $30,000 a year for a family of four. That means, by the way, the U.S. average is $51,000 a year. What that means is that in 2011, let me give you this, the poverty level in the United States was $23,000 a year. That comes out to a little more than $15 a day. What that means is the poverty level in the United States is middle income for the rest of the world. You want to know why they're dropping kids over the fence? Because they know that if that kid is raised in poverty in the United States, it's middle income for the rest of the world. That's why. And we have the audacity to gripe and complain because God hasn't done the what blank for us. Want to talk about health care in the world? Want to talk about baby survival rate? Want to talk about drinking water? You flush your toilet with cleaner water than most people in the world drink. And we want to gripe and grumble? Because the landowner is not giving us enough? Because the landowner hasn't done blank for us? Are you kidding me? I'm not asking this morning that you feel guilty for what you have. I don't. I, I'm not, I don't feel guilty. God, for whatever reason, chose to put me in America and give me a, a livable income and bless my socks off. And I look at it and say, I'm one of those five o'clock people that God said, here's a denarius for an hour's worth of work. 
But I see Americans sitting over here on this end of it, acting like we're that 6 a.m. people where life is so hard and it should be so much easier for me and God hasn't done this. And how dare God do that? And how come God didn't do this for me? And and I'm going, slap us, silly. What is wrong with us? Because God has been incredibly, overwhelmingly gracious to us by even putting us in this country. Do you realize, those of you who retired, do you realize your Social Security alone? Just your Social I'm not talking about IRA. I'm not talking about pensions. I'm not talking about any of that. Your your Social Security alone, at some of the most basic levels, puts you at middle income in the world. Paying you because you worked X number of years and got to X age. Do you know how many people? Your age have to work in order to put food on their table every single day. And if they don't, there's no backup for them. Listen, the point of this story, God, as the landowner, has chosen to be gracious to everyone. And everyone that is part of his family has come somewhere in that process. My prayer for us is we stop being a bunch of whiny babies about the way things aren't going the way we think they should go. Because we have been incredibly blessed. And for some reason, the landowner, God, has put us in this country with the resources that we have, with the money, with the, the, the health care that we have, with the water that we have, with the, the sanitation that we have, with, the, with all of those things. We don't have a right to gripe about anything. I think that's a great take off of this parable. Because the disciples are in this little battle about who gets to get what. And Jesus is about, guys, it's not about that. It's about the landowner who's been equally gracious to everyone. My challenge to us is to not be that six o'clock group. And I don't know about you, but I find myself falling into that trap really easy. Well, you know, so-and-so has this, or so-and-so got that, and so-and-so, you know... Instead of being happy, the fact that everyone got paid that day, everyone got to eat that day, everyone got to go home with money that day. You know what? I need to be grateful for what I got. Because I've got a landowner who loves me. And has showed incredible grace and mercy and goodness to me. So that's my challenge. So as we end this morning, I end with this. Jesus uses this parable to demonstrate the principles of God's grace. His grace is offered to everyone regardless of their standing. It is offered equally and generously to anyone who will say yes. None of us wants God to be just. We all want to be shown His grace and mercy. Don't be envious of what God does in the life of others. Rejoice in the grace and goodness He has shown to you. Let's pray. Lord, help us.
Lord, sometimes we can become that spoiled child who's always wanting more and more and more and is never satisfied. Lord, we don't want to go down that road. Lord, for some of us, you showed us your grace and mercy early in our lives, and we have had the opportunity to serve you for a lifetime. For others, Lord, they've come to this recently. Lord, regardless, we've all gotten there. We've all tasted of your grace and your mercy and your goodness. So, Lord, help us to appreciate that which we have. Lord, may we step back from this life and stop comparing ourselves with one another. And instead, Lord, just simply look at how you have worked and guided and provided and protected and met our needs. And Lord, may we take that which we have been given and appreciate it and be thankful and grateful for it. These things we ask in your name. Amen.